Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Friday morning. Um, Cholamoy Sokis, and uh, I want to talk about uh, the holiday coming up, which is Shoshana Rabbah. This is uh, being sponsored. Uh, specifically, very generously by uh, Lou and Edie Goldberg here in Baltimore, uh, in memory of Lou's grand grandmother. Let me see your Ida Goldberg, which is Chaya Rifka Bas Yehuda, whose yard sale is going to be in other words on Sunday. The yard sale is going to be on uh, Shana Raba. So let's take a look a little bit. Uh, Shana Raba, uh, we hope that the Nisham will have an Aliyah, as they say. Uh, Shana Raba, which coming up, is all, obviously the strangest of all the holidays because the Torah hardly says anything about it. Just uh, something about different numbers or carbonos and that sort of thing, uh, but nevertheless, you know, uh, nevertheless, uh, it's become an impo- very important day in the Jewish tradition. Uh, sort of a concatenation, actually. One thing leads to another, and uh, I want to ex- what's the right word? Amplify what I um, uh, what I mean. I was going to do this last night, but I got a nosebleed. I'm fighting this, so if I sound a little bit funny, I can't help it. <laughs> uh, one second here. I think we all know the, the words of Shana Rabbah. I don't think we're in the Gemara. That's later. Uh, on the other hand, you see very interesting uh, ritual described in the Mishnah, not in the uh, not in the Bible, in the Mishnah, in uh, the fourth parak in Masoka. I'm sure everybody who's listening to this knows. Where it says very briefly, mitzvah arova. Kate said they used to have a special mitzvah with the willows, with the arova. This is not identical with the arovas that you put in your lulav, uh, but instead they got these jagundo things. And I'm sure if you go online, if no, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sure everybody knows what I'm talking about. They used to go makom hoy lamata yushalayim benikra motza. There was a place motza which is still there near Jerusalem. Yerim shem lakimurbi shalrov, and they would get these jagundo branches of willows. You know, these very large ones. Like I said before, not like you and I do. And they would carry them to the base of Megdosha. This is a temple ritual when the temple was standing. And they would stand up these very large willows, like jagundo branches, uh, along the Mizbeach. So there's a certain aesthetic. Imagine uh, if you take these very, very large, tall things, that they're tall enough to, to hang over the altar, and just envision in your minds, I'm not sure I've seen a cartoon particular of that. They usually show you one, like the red one I have in front of me right now, the cartoon Mishnah, which shows you the Mizbeach with one of those Morbios, one of those large um, branches, very large branches, tall branches, leaning over the altar. But just imagine 50 or 100 of them, you know, however it take, how many it takes to completely surround the altar. Sydney of a certain aesthetic, because the Mizbeach is the site of offering Karbonus to Hashem. Karbonus means you come closer to Hashem. That's what it's supposed to mean. And um, it's now surround, and the carbonus are places where you just did the water ritual. That's the, a, a very important part of this whole business, in my opinion. That Sukkot is the time for praying for water. Uh, and I think in the old days, especially, 
uh, you know, water was like a god of some kind or another because you can't live without it. On the other hand, it's, it's, it's uh, the ability of water to cause destruction is unbelievable. We just had a hurricane in Florida, for example, in Bechlal. How did God destroy the world? He chose to use the medium of, of water. Why didn't God say, I'm going to burn the earth? He could have, listen, he can do whatever he wants, right? So in other words, Hashem chose water as, as an agency of destruction. Uh, it says, or it seems to say, it seems to say that there was water before the earth was created. Well, it says, so you see, the Spirit of God was on the water. So water has some kind of a, like a primeval kind of business. Although, you know, it's it's clear that God created the water. But on the other hand, it seems that the water was there before the earth. You see what I'm getting at? Before the Bria Solom. And so the water is, the, and uh, as opposed to fire. doesn't say, so if you're living thousands of years ago, you see the water as something, you know, uh, most unusual and most powerful. And as I said before, you know, you can't live without it and so on and so forth. We all know the Middle East, if they have a drought, forget about it. <laughs> you know, that's how millions of people used to die long ago when you had these droughts. They punched it in the water. You can go for so and so many days without eating. You can't go long without drinking. And Ad uh, that, you know, it's a, it's a basic. And here, you just did the Nisach HaMayim, not just Nisach the water ritual, which he pours the water from that uh, special spring in Jerusalem and you pour it in the, in the hole in the altar. Uh, and that was like a big shebang because that's what they did. Simchas Beis Shoeva, all those parties described so famously in the Mishnah with the dancing and the juggling and so forth by the Gedolim. Okay? As the Rambam puts it, the people just watched. It was the Gedolim that the hopped and skipped and jumped, which is really something because <laughs> it's hard to imagine, you know, a Yashif or something like that, but, you know, whatever. And uh, and this is what they did. And um, so you have this whole water business. And then following that comes what we call Shana Rabba, And they would uh, put these willow branches, which I guess symbolize the water, Arvi Nachal and so forth, uh, you know, there's some that grows from water, of course. And imagine the Mizbeach, which is the site of this uh, uh, offering the Karbanas and asking God for water. And like I say, you just poured the Nisagamayim there every day. And now you surround it with branches, huge, tall branches leaning over. I mean, just very, uh, let me put it this way. If any of you listening to this are artistic, you have imagination, you could do a very nice picture, I would imagine. Uh, of the Mizbeach, surrounded by the uh, Morbios Shalarova, uh, on, on, on Shana Rabba, because he only did it once a year. And the Mishnah goes to the trouble of telling you, I mean, to make a point to tell you that, you know, it had to lean over, okay? Uh, which which uh, the Bartanura says, you know, it had to be 11 Amis, so that's what, 22 feet, 25 feet, something in that area. As far as I'm concerned, 20-some feet is pretty tall gone tall, okay? And uh, anyway, so you saw that. Uh, so it's a temple ritual. And then they blew the shofar, taco, burrito, taco. And then they would march around seven times, okay? Uh, now, it's very interesting. When you march around seven times, first first of all, it's the Kohanim that march around, okay? Like the Tosis Yontif says, Hamakif and Hayrak Kohanim. So, 
I don't know. It's not me, but if Tosis Yantam says it, we'll go with it. So you had the Kohanim, you know, the people who are specially trained, and they would march around in the special hakafas, uh, not as we do today when everybody goes around. And the Kohanim, I, I guess the ideal is the Kohanim have certain kavanos, you know, a Kabbalistic or whatever you want to call it, and, you know, they're marching around with a certain uh, 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 way. And they're sing, they're, they're, uh, as they march around, they sing. See, it's a machlok. It's very interesting. Rabbi Huda says, Ono Hashem Oshi, Ono Hashlich, Ono. That's what we go, Ono, Ono. So, no, they quote Tehillim. Get it? Ono Hashem Oshi, Ono Hashlich, is from Tehillim. So they go around with that particular one, asking for Hoshia and for Hatzlocha. Hatzlicha, uh, not Hatzlocha. Hatzlicha no means um, rescue. What's the word I'm talking about? Hatzola, in other words. Hatzlicha, you know. Now, um, okay, that's that thing. That's right, two pesukim. Now, if they say that, I understand. That's very simple. You go around and you ask God for for salvation, you know, for saving us from the Goyim, for saving us from whatever. It's a horror. Uh, Rabbi Yehud Omer, and I think you know that in Mesechtis, uh Sukkah, Rabbi Huda is always offering like the loyal opposition, a, a different opinion. He says the Sukkah is a chvez adiras keva, and he says you make the walls out of the arba. I mean, you know, the Rabbi Huda is always saying something different. See, obviously represented a different tradition, and he says you say oni v'hoshiyano, not ona Hashem v'hoshiyano, which is a pasuk, but oni v'hoshiyano, which is not a pasuk. Okay, and uh, what does that mean? So already in the time of the Bartanura, which is in the fourteen hundreds. He's saying that the gematria is on Hashem, so it's a different way of saying on Hashem Hashiyana. So you don't want to say it directly, you say on Hashiyana, but it's also Shnei Shem Hashem Hashem Yud Beis. It's mystical. It's part of God's name, 72 letters. I've done this before. You can look it up yourself. That, you know, it's the name of God that appears, they say, in. Shmos in Exodus when they uh, split the Red Sea just before that. When the uh, Pharaoh's army caught up with the Jews, is that God interposed an angel and some uh, fire and junk like that to uh, the Egyptians were not able to get the Jews. So here the Jews are against the water. You see the water theme? That's my point. You see the water theme? And when it says uh, something like, uh, you know, Vayamod, Mal Hashem, Beim Yisrael, Beim Yisrael, and uh, so in the mystical way, if you take two letters from this and three letters from that and that, you end up with only you get it? That's how they explain it. If you don't know, what I'm talking about, I just don't have the energy. Now. Go get the art scroll. I'm serious now. Go get the art scroll, sukkah, and look it up there in the fourth parak of when Ani wherever the 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 Gemara tells you, you know, uh. The Gemara that goes to that in the fourth parak, it's parak Dal Mishnah Hay, and you'll see in the arts will give you a whole long uh, footnote in which they'll explain how the Ani Vaho Hoshiyana Ani Vaho Shiyana comes out to uh, to this uh, uh, allusion, the name of God as it appears within the context of saving the Jews when their backs were against the water, and he sends a fire. You see the fire and water business going on there. So there's a lot of super meanings. And symbolism into all this. It's not simply that they're reciting formulas. I'll say it again. If you do the regular way, no. So you're just asking for Yeshua. 
But Rabbi Huda is saying something mystical. He said, Ani you reference parts of God's specific name, the 72-letter name, which are, um, what do you call it? Referring specifically to the, uh, the time when they split the Red Sea. Or just before that, when he used fire to save the Egyptians, so the Egyptians wouldn't be able to get the Jews until the water split. The Jews should, should then go through the water, and the water should then come down and wipe out the Egyptians, which is the classic example, as far as I can see, that water can be a plus, or water can be a minus. Water can be something constructive, water can be something uh, destructive. But you see even more than that, that it's all in the hands of Hashem. That's the key point. If I was an uh, anthropologist, which I'm not, you say that this is a Jewish thing to you know, undo the idea that the water is a god or something like that, because um, you see Hashem's, you're referring constantly to when Hashem did the Kriyas Yamsuf. When Hashem does the Kriyas Yamsuf, and everybody saw it, everybody witnessed it, then they saw water is not a thing on its own, water is run by Hashem. However they say it in the Piyutim, right? So you see that uh, in this big water ritual, was mentioned this whole business. And then it says they marched around seven times. Okay? Now, um, so this is what Hoshana Rab was. March around seven times. Why seven times? So the Yoshalmi says, You're also reenacting the Jericho story, in which they walked around seven times. The walls came tumbling down. And by Jericho also, by the time of Yoshua and Joshua, talk of Yeroto, they blew the shofar. And so you have several themes coming together. Uh, this Yushalmi, it seems to me, fits better with um, the approach of Sukkot that I mentioned the other day with the, uh, what's his name, with the Rokeach, who says that the whole Sukkot, or Sukkot's Mamish anyway, refers to the conquest of Israel in the time of Yeshua Benon. The last year, Moshe, the words of Sichon and Og on the one hand, just before Moshe died, and then the words of conquest of Yeshua Benon. Uh, so if that's what Sukkot's mamish are, see, you got to, you know, unscrew your head and rescrew it. If you go with the, with the Rokeach and you say that's what Sukkot's mamish are, uh, the, the military tents and, and dugouts that the soldiers, uh, were in, the Jewish soldiers, when they conquered Israel, it wasn't handed them on a Magasha Kesef, on a, on a silver play, uh, a platter. So, uh, then it fits very nicely that you would, let me put it this way. You will recall uh, perhaps the most glorious episode of divine intervention during those wars was the fall of the walls of Jericho because that was just a miracle. Get it? The walls came tumbling down. I mean, how'd that happen? You know, nobody battered the walls. They went around seven days and the walls came tumbling down. So uh, that would be very aesthetic because you're saying, here's Sukkot. And during the seven days of Sukkot, we're thinking about how our Avos, you know, co- conquered Eretz Yisrael, like the, the like like the, like the Rokeh says, it wasn't handed to you as a, as you know. And we, it's not that we've always been here since Avraham Avinu. Uh, we had to fight and conquer it, and Hashem helped us to do that, and that's why we're in the Sukkah. And sort of like the proof that Hashem helped to do it was the time that He did an extraordinary Zach, which happened once only. And that was when Yericho came tumbling down. And therefore, every year afterwards, uh, remember, see, Yushalmi, this is not me talking. He says, uh, when, when, um, when you have this thing called Shana Rabbah, no, on the seventh day of this holiday, you march around seven times and recall that incident 
that glorious incident of the in, in the wars to conquer Eretz Yisrael. Uh, if you say different shot, then you're doing you know um, like Darach on there. I see brings in this Mishnahis Okay, that's the same idea. Dorach is saying the same thing as Yerushalmi. Uh, and as you see, um, that would refer to the wars. On the other hand, you can also say seven days is seven days of creation. Notice you can be, you can figure out the symbolism, you know, just like I can. And you have a Mizbeach surrounded with these Chai uh, Gundo Arovis branches, a whole bunch of them, and you're marching around, and you're recalling the, the you, you see this, the, the powerful symbolism that comes together in so many ways, and recalling the Kriyas Yamsub on the one hand story, and the fire, and that God controls the fire, because he sent the fire into interposed between the Jews and the Egyptians, but he also controls the water, you know, and we saw Masharach, you know, and then you see the reference to Hiricho, and so the, the 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 ceremonies were so constructed that they evoke um, theological uh, milestones in the popular memory. So when people come and they watch it, because remember, as I said before, the Toast of the Yontif said the people can only watch the Kohanim go around. Okay, the Kohanim go around, but they go around and they say, you know, God is on our side, so to speak. So this is the, the whole idea over here. On the other hand, as I said before, there's no question. That there has to be some kind of an agricultural, you know, holiday to this, you know, the praying for water and all the rest of it. Um, like I said, you want to make sure that you don't believe in the separate water God. But on the other hand, what are we going to? Is is this uh, when we say it now for Tal? What are we going to dumb for now? Geshem, I guess. You know, Afbri. You know, you have all these angels and things like you said. You know, who who organize the water, and uh, you know, it's all wrapped together. Don't become one of these ancient pagan peoples that prays, you know, to the water god, uh, per se. And uh, it's this injury. Remember, it's Arve Nachal, so they have to grow by the water. And uh, this came to be known as, uh, you know, Shana Rabba. But then you have that weird business where you hit the ground, okay? You whack the ground, which you come, come from the Nevi'im. And if it's Yisod Nevi'im, I forget how it goes. Is it Yisod Nevi'im or Minig Nevi'im, whatever, different opinions in the Gemara. The question, if it's, um, you know, hitting the ground comes from that, you ask yourself, then why did they do it? Because whenever there's something that's not in the Chumash directly, there's a historical reason behind it. And, uh, first of all, I don't know. And probably 10,000, uh, you know, uh, guesses. And I've guessed my fair share in the past. But this year, looking with a fresh eye, if you whack the ground... Let's put it this way. You just did the Nanuim, like I said last night. You shake in all the different directions. And one of the directions you shake is downwards towards the ground. And, uh, you know, you're, you're asking against the Gashmias. Uh, let's put it this way. Do not worship the ground. You get it? Uh, now, in all the ancient pagan religions, they worship the ground. Uh, you know, the gods that control the ground, because that's where you get your your fertility. And, the, you know, it's all about fertility in the ancient world, because if you're crops weren't fertile and your animals weren't fertile and your family wasn't fertile then you know you're going to die out and uh seems to me when you whack the ground it has the connotation that you know we don't believe in you right now that may be a maimonidean type word or something like that but so what uh you get it you hit the ground and it's like yes we 
daven for rain, and we daven for crops, and we daven for this, that, and the other. But uh, the Nevi'im uh, may have introduced this practice, you know, to whack the ground, to try to drive out these paganistic ideas that are penetrating the public, which we know was very heavy in the Bayesian period. And from the Nevi'im, I mean, it's, it's like, you know, really there. Uh, perhaps it means the Nevi'im, like Chagiz Melachi at the beginning of Second Temple, when they got rid of the Yitzhar of Odezar, and this all be part of that. You understand? Notice they davta Hashem, get rid of Yitzhar of Odezar, and he also told the people, you know, don't kiss the ground or anything like that, don't bow down to the ground, um, which you find, remember Avram Avinu had to wash the feet of the three messengers because they worshipped the dust and all that kind of stuff. We have all kind of ideas out there, and uh, and here you say, no, 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 we believe in Hashem, the ground, you spin on it, you kick it, you hit the ground. Uh all of this is, like I say, one thing sort of leads to the other, and you have all these, uh, you know, uh, kind of notions, and of course you're praying for good water, and not for bad water, uh, which is why, um, let's put it this way, uh, you, you know, you know, I mean, Eretz Israel can be flooded, and sometimes in Israel they've had problems. I was myself was once many years ago in Tel Aviv when there was a flood, and it was a bummer because they didn't have drainage systems because it happened so rarely. Uh, I remember that was a long time ago, uh, and all all of this became wrapped up in ancient Israel when you had a base of Migdash. But what happened when base of Migdash was destroyed? How was this holiday sort of like redefined because it had to be? There's no more Mizbeach, so maybe you say like this: Well, there's no more Mitzvahs Arava, and, and, and so forth. You're not going to go. Nobody lives in Israel. Most of the Jews live in Gullis. You're not going to do the uh, Arava ceremony, although there were. In the Middle Ages, people marched around the Harabayas or, or the Harazasim. There are stories, you know, what's the name? Uh, they say Rav Haigon or something like that. There was such, such a concept going around the Harazasim. But by and large, that's not what people did. Well, yes, they did. You know, there came up, there became invented, as we know, the ritual that you and I have on um, the post-temple ritual of marching in the, around the Bim in the, in, in the synagogue, right? In Shul. Uh, with the love and Esther, I mean, obviously not just the Kohanim, it's everybody. And uh, this, uh, as you know, has become a beloved uh, ritual, part of the a basic part of Jewish religion. And the poets added a lot of uh, piyutim and stuff like that to make up the day. And uh, the result is that we have, you know, something that at least reminds us, you know, of of the old days. And we supplement that with what they must have done in Beit HaMikdash also, which is, we do all these piyutim afterwards, where you pray for water. Uh, I'm looking at Koma Vasem Vasem which is classic. Even my mother knew that one. And, uh, you know, what do you see over here? That uh, you're praying for water? No, 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 but it's also associated with rebuilding Beit HaMikdash and coming Mashiach. You see that? Koma Vasem Vasem is <laughs> all about the, the coming of the Mashiach. But before that, you have all these things of B'Ritzano, Chasha, and so forth. And so we still have the reliving in that way of the water rituals that were a part of the Jewish religion. So Hoshana Rabbah may de facto be when we pray for water. You know, I know the Mishnah has other times for that, but this is what comes out in Kal Yisrael. Uh, and that's the time when you do the Piyotim for, for the water. That's why Shul takes so long. And... Um, as I said, though, it's also associated, bringing water also sounds like bringing Yeshua. 
So here we come now to the very interesting fact that they're developed in Jewish tradition, the fact you call Hoshana Rabbah. The Hoshana Rabbah literally means the day of the Hoshinas, when you do a lot of Hoshinas. So you do Hoshina, Hoshina, and in popular expression, the, um, what do you call it, the, the willows themselves can be called Hoshinas because you use them for Hoshinas. So somebody said, I'm selling you Hoshinas, you know. They don't say I'm selling Yarovas. I mean, some do, but, you know, see, you call it Hoshinas. Fine. So in other words, they're the type of uh, uh, plant or whatever you call it, branch, that you use when you recite the words Hoshina. Having said that, of course, I know that. It's also interesting that Hoshina means save us as salvation. And so Hoshina Rabbah, in my opinion, somehow or other became submished together a long, long, you know, a thousand years ago, whatever, in the Jewish tradition, which is so colorful and so varied. And getting together with the idea that there's a, a Yeshua happening over here. Hoshana Rabbah can also mean the day of the great salvation. Hoshana Rabbah, in other words, can mean the day of the willows, right? But the Hoshana Rabbah can also mean the day of the of the Yeshua. Now, what's about the day of Yeshua? Ah, here we get to the religious guys. You see? Uh, first of all, I just read you to Kaliri, who is before the Gaonim. You know, Kaliri is in the Byzantine period. He's already talking about the time of Mashiach coming. I mean, that's the Haftar we just read, you know, with World War III. I mean, we're, we're singing here about the city of Jerusalem and, and Harzazim splitting in half. Zaramusi Rachmo Nolad Kiel and Meimo Mashiach and so forth and so on. So you see, it's the day of Yeshua. First of all, on a national level, in the sense that the Jewish people will find the final Yeshua somehow or other connected with Hoshana Rabbah, right? This is the notion that you know we have different traditions. So one of them is that the Yeshua will come, Sheikh will come um, in Nisan because the world's created in Nisan. The other one, the Sheikh will come around Sukkot time. Because the world's created in Tishrei, you know that Machlokas. So Hoshana uh, Rabbah somehow became submissive with all that, and uh, therefore, in the popular thought, Hoshana Rabbah is the day of Yeshua. In other words, it's got nothing to do. I won't say it's got nothing to do, but it becomes, no, but it becomes independent of its own from the willows, you know, from the hitting of the branches or any of that, marching around with the branches and so forth. I'm sure the great ideationists in our past somehow or other connected the you know, rituals of the ancient agricultural stuff, marching around the altar with the final Yeshua. But in the Jewish tradition, like I say, in the medieval and afterwards, it became the idea of um, the national salvation. But that's half of it. As the Middle Ages unfolded and the Kabbalah popped up into the public sphere, you then became focused on Hoshina in, in an individualistic sense as well. Now, how am I going to get an individualistic sense? Here's the the idea that Hoshana Rabbah is another Yom Kippur, okay? Um, you see this in Yonas and Apeshitz, if you want to you know, look, look up in there, you have the copy with the index, you'll see. Uh, I've talked about it in the past, and he basically says the Beninim, you know, get final uh, chasima on uh, Hoshana Rabbah. In other words, the first 10 days, you know how it works, it goes like this very, very briefly. Tzadikim and Rishayim Gemurim are Nechtam Lom Rosh Hashanah. 
So if you knew you were a tzaddik gummer or Russia gummer, it basically done, you don't need uh, Yom Kippur. Certainly if you're a tzaddik gummer, let's put it that way, you don't need Yom Kippur because it's already done. You're already into heaven. Uh, but on the other hand, if you're a Benini, then you need. But what does it say? Benim toli ve'omed. And on Yom Kippur, you're nichtovin. You know, if you're zocha, you're nichtam l'chaim, and not zocha, you're not, something like that. So, but it doesn't say nechtamin. It doesn't say you're sealed. So the Kabbalists say, oh, I see you're not sealed till another 10 days, and that would be a Shanarabah. The only problem with that is, of course, that a Shanarabah is 11 days later. You know, the date of a Shanarabah is 21 days in, in Tishri, not 20, which I'm sure they obviously, you understand, all these guys know that. So I, I can only assume what they mean is that you finish, um, you finish your tshuva, like on the day before Shana Rabba. In other words, this year, Saturday, this year, Shabbos. Uh, and as a result, the next day, you know, you get signed in, I mean, sealed for life. Eh, it's a little schwach, I don't, you know, but what can I tell you? This is how they say this. It's 20 days, and it's 21. It's 20 days into uh, into Tishrei, and that's your second Yom Kippur. In other words, Hoshana Rabba comes out your individual Yeshua. And there's so many, le- I won't say legends, there's so many Ideas connected with this in the Sefer Hasidim, uh, surprise, surprise, and the Sefer Hasidim from the Middle Ages, of course, Tamber Yehuda Chassid, he has a whole business where he says, V'yesh layla shen hanafoshes yotzes min ha-kavaris, kagon b'leil ha-shanarabah, that on Shanarabah night, the the, the mesim come out from the graves. Yotzes and mispalalos. Whoa. You know, when my mother was a little girl, used to tell her, don't go into the show, listen to this story. Don't go to the shul uh, at night because there's a special minion of the mason. The mason with the talesim. <laughs> that's, that's what she used to tell her. And they come out and they clap, you know, uh, for uh, announce the aliyahs and so forth. You have spirits and spooky-wooky. And they freaked her out. But I'm going to tell you something. Years later when she grew up, she understood that this was done as a tactic because the synagogue where she lived She's in Bardigov. It's actually not far from the Galician border. And a lot of people used to, you know, when, when refugees were running away from Russia or something like that, they would cross illegally into Slovakia uh, back in the old days. And the Jews always had like their own underground railroad, especially the Chesidim. And they would hide these refugees. And the place you hid refugees was in the shoal of... Uh, and they would sleep there, you know, quietly. Nobody's supposed to tell the authorities. Uh, but they're always afraid the children will, will see it and blab, because that's what children do. And therefore, they came up with all this stuff of the Mason with the Talesim, and the Minyanim, Yamod, so-and-so, who'd been dead for a hundred years. So the kids would be freaked out and would never go near the synagogue. You get it? And that way, the secret would be safe. Which is just very interesting. But this that's not what the Sefer Hasidim here I'm looking at is talking about. He's saying... Get over it. Somehow or other, on Shana Rabbah night, the Mason come out, Yotzebim Spalos, Krahochu Shnaim Bechbi, Watson Basic Forest, well, Shana Rabbah. I love this. Two guys wanted to see the whole thing. Now, you know who these two guys are. They live on your block, they, they go to your shoulder. There's always two Hebraman out there, you know, two idiots. As they went to the cemetery, Belil Shana Rabbah, this is, I'm quoting from Sefer Hasidim, Vasham Mushachas Korlechavita, Nathan Spal Yachtov. And they heard, that you know, basically in Europe, used to, in Europe used to have a shamus 
who would go around and bang on the doors or the windows and say, you know, time for Mincha, time for Shachar. So that's part of the old world. And so here, you know, like in the cemetery, somebody gives a clop, Nexus Falyachad. Rabosai, fellow dead people in this cemetery, Zomariskin, you know, let's get up and go Davin. Yotzim and Afash, it's a big Shirachim. And all the dead came and they made a minion. And they would daven for the following. Listen closely. That all those who are alive should remain alive. So this was a... a, a they're good ghosts. They're not bad ghosts. They're good ghosts. They're davening on Hashanah Rabbah. See Hoshana, salvation. You understand? Yeshua. They're davening. Hoshanah Rabbah, night. Uh, then anyone's alive this year should make it to next year also. There should be no decree of death on anyone's alive. And anyone who's got to die, because you know how it goes? People do die, so Hashem has, you know, on the list. Anyone who does die, a, what do you call it? Um, they should die by Misa Kal. No, they shouldn't, they shouldn't have a painful death. Have a painful, that's just very interesting. You know, because sadly, what do I need to tell you? You know, a lot of people, even in our most advanced technological society, health situations pop up all the time. You know, a lot of people starve to death in this country. I'm talking about, you know, with the with the hospice and all this other kind of stuff. It's it's, it's very sad. And they would say if a person has to go, Yamusa b'choli kal, it shouldn't be a painful death. Right? And these two guys, naturally... These two Chevrolet came and told everybody else. That's what it says in Sefer Chasidim. Now, why would it be on Shana Rabbanan? I can only conjecture that uh, I, I don't have the patience to go look up. I you know, have a Chidah or something like that on Pirish on, on the Sefer Chasidim. But you can look it up yourself. It's in the Tufnam base. And uh, where does this come? Hoshana Rabba. Get it? Great Yeshua. The Great Yeshua. So you see so many ideas come together in the Shana Rabba. Uh, including, by the way, the notion that the dead are not really dead, meaning that the neshamas are still there and some or other are davening for the others. Uh, I hope that this will be uh, the case for our sponsor today, for the Goldbergs, uh, who are doing it once again on behalf of the uh, Nefteris. For the Nefteris, um, Ida Goldberg, Chayrifka Bas Yehuda, Whose, whose yard site is, is on, as we said before, is on Hoshana Rabbah, and that I hope that those tefillahs, wherever they are, will have some effect. Save us all, because the Klai Yisrael definitely needs a lot of prayers out there. You know, the situation is always so lousy, it's so so scary in the in, in Middle East, though. And we do hope that just as the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, I hope all the walls of Iran and Hamas and the Hezbollah and all those other junctures come, come tumbling down, also, and that would be a nice way to celebrate uh, Hoshana Rabbah. Uh, once again, I want to thank the Goldbergs for being generous sponsors of this, and I wish everybody a good Hoshana Rabbah. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.com dot rabbi david